0: Well, good morning, GPC. Um, I do have a few announcements of my own before we get to the sermon. The first is, um, I'm not sure if it was said already, but as you came in the church doors to the gym this morning, you saw that things looked a little differently if, if you're a perceptive person. Um, So you may not know, maybe you do, that the youth of the church, 20 or 25 of them in total, and some adults as well, yesterday had a work day. And I'm here to tell you, they worked really hard. Um, Some of us who are older are probably limping a little bit today and moving with stiff joints. But our students are not. They are flexible and ready to do it again. So, some of you had the thought of, well, it looks like the church got a bad haircut out there. I hope they're not done. And to that I would say, okay, give us give us a little bit more time. We're going to have a mulching day that is going to beautify things. And um, you're invited to the mulching party. So look for an announcement about that sometime in the future um, We'll just, we're going to have a mulching party. I'll just call it that. And we're excited about it. Uh, number two announcement. Men's Fellowship this Thursday. Feed your faith. My phone just told me that the weather Thursday will be in the 70s that day. And I think we're going to be able to be at the barn for this fellowship. Uh, it was announced that this would be a wing ding, which is a party with wings. However, I learned this week that due to issues with stock and supply, can't get wings. Not at Sam's Club. So we're going to have a chili party. Chili and cornbread is my plan. I'll probably have hot dogs for our younger men Uh, ages 12 and up, who maybe don't like chili. So a little something for everybody, but some substantial devotion time together as well. So men, uh, 12 and up, you're invited. We'd love to have you there this Thursday at the barn, 6 to 8 p.m. See me if you don't know how to get there. And then the third quick announcement is I'm told that um, our closing hymn might not be displayed on the slideshow. But I believe Carol Howard in the back can confirm that we still have some bulletins available. So if you, if you need those lyrics, I will not be offended if you get up and go and get those during the sermon. Speaking of the sermon, it's time. So this is week 11 of our looking together at the Ten Commandments. And today we come to the Tenth Commandment. Uh, a little bit longer than the last few, very substantial, and I'll just say it again, none of us is let off the hook when we look at the 10th commandment. Some of you are familiar with the board game, the tabletop game, Jenga, Jenga, where you pull the little wooden planks and you can think, this is, this is going great. And then all of a sudden, you pull one and What happens? everything topples and crashes. Well, maybe we're playing spiritual Jenga during this 10-week, 11-week, 12-week series. We think things are going well, but the more we get into looking at the commandments, we realize they're all toppling and collapsing from our disobedience. So that's the bad news, but there's good news. And the good news is there is one perfect, true law keeper who has kept the law for his people, and his name is Jesus. And at Greenwood Presbyterian Church, we preach him, we point people to him, because our only hope is not in our keeping of the law, but in his perfect keeping of it. And so each week we've looked at these Ten Commandments with an idea, an understanding that this is who God wants us to be. We're not saved by our obedience We can be lost by our disobedience, but we are saved by Jesus when our trust is in him. And so this morning, two passages to begin. The commandment itself in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And then an additional reading from 1 Samuel 18 to embody what is said in the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And now, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 through 11. Listen and see why this passage might inform us. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. King Saul was very angry. And this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, a tormenting spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. Let's pray that God might help us understand our hearts. Lord, that is our prayer together this morning that you would be our teacher and that you would use your word first to show us our sin but then to show us our Savior, that real change can happen when faith is in Christ. And we ask this and pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Even at the youngest of ages, children, kids in the room, students, even at the youngest of ages, and certainly through and to the oldest of ages, we hear ourselves or other people say things like this oh i like your hair i wish i had your hair your hair is so blonde your hair is so dark your hair is so straight your hair is so curly i wish i had your hair or i wish i wish i had your height you are perfectly tall or I'm too tall I wish I was shorter like you or I wish that I had your teeth your teeth are so white your teeth are so straight Mm, I just wish I had your teeth or I wish I had your build you're so strong you're so fast you jump so high I wish I had that or you're so smart you're so smart in school your grades are so good Or you're so talented. I wish I had your voice. You sing so beautifully. You play the instrument so wonderfully. I wish I had your talent. Or, boy, I like your house. I wish I had your house. I wish I had your yard. I wish I had your toys. I wish I had your car. I wish I had your family. I wish I had your parents. I wish I had your money. I wish I had your vacation home. I wish I had your vocation, your calling in life. We hear these things. Those are not far stretches from things said in grade schools to middle schools to high schools to universities to neighborhoods to retirement homes. We talk this way. We hear these things because... Our hearts are malcontent. They're not content with what we have, with who we are. And there's something in every one of us. Now, this is going to sound harsh, but I think it's true. There's something in, in, in all of us that thinks God's not really been good to me. He's been better to other people than He has to me. I've not gotten what I want or what I deserve. And I can't be content until I have that person, that place, or that thing. Also known as an idol, according to the Ten Commandments. Right? I have three points for us this morning. And I really want to stretch and and pull on our understanding of what it means to covet. And apply a lot of application to all of us in the room. That's my intention this morning. And so the first point is simply this. Coveting what it is. What coveting it is. So 1 Samuel 18, I read that brief excerpt um, regarding King Saul and young David. And we see there what we maybe wouldn't at first call coveting. We might call it jealousy or envy. But I would make the point this morning, if you'll allow me to say this, if it's not offensive. I think that coveting and envy or jealousy. They're ugly twin sisters that look very much alike. They're hideous things in the heart of humanity, and that way they're ugly. And they're twins. They're very similar. There are distinctions between coveting and envy and jealousy, but the root seems to go to the same issues of the heart. So what are those? Here's a few. Coveting Is a jealous envy of the possessions, the gifts, the circumstances, the blessings of others, or even the life that other people are living. That's what coveting is. It's a jealous envy. Coveting is also discontentment with God's provision, His care and his calling for you. It is that inward sense of, God's just really not been good to me. And we all can think that way. As we live through different seasons of life, hard times of suffering or disappointment, maybe times where our stories are turning south, they're difficult, other people are living highlights on Facebook and on social media, and we think to ourselves, Well, God's just not been good to me. I wish that my life was like theirs. It's a discontentment even with God and his gifts. Coveting is also sinful want of the flesh. I had more passages to use in this sermon than I possibly could. The Bible talks about coveting a lot. Old Testament and new. Galatians chapter 5 verses 21 and 25, and I don't think I have that printed on the screen for you, but listen to this. Listen to these sins that are clumped together. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, says Paul, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So maybe you came in the gym this morning, saw that we're talking about coveting, and thought to yourself, well, that's just not really a a big deal. I mean, every American knows what it is to covet, to want stuff, to buy stuff, to amass stuff. So it's really not that bad of a thing. But look at the sins it's listed with. In Galatians chapter 5, a long list of things the Lord detests and envy is in the list. There are other passages that do the same thing. I won't take the time to read them. But coveting is a sinful want of the flesh. It's when we start wanting what other people have that we lack. It's not the same as just wanting, but it's wanting what God has given another. I want it, I deserve it, and I must have it or I'll be discontent. And then fourthly, coveting, like envy, disintegrates people. Now, I've used that language a lot recently in this series and in some other talks that I've done with youth, and even with the officers of the church, and it's very intentional language. I really do think that sin disintegrates us. We collapse. We fall apart as people because of sin. It's not who we were made to be. It's not who we're redeemed to be. And coveting the want of the flesh, the seeking satisfaction in something, it disintegrates us. Proverbs chapter 14 Verse 30, that was our reflection this morning. Listen to that once more. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now think about that for a moment. Envy rots the bones. From the inside out, you fall apart. You're rotting. You're disintegrating. You have spiritual bone cancer. It's horrible. That's what envy and wanting, never being satisfied in this life, that's what it feels like. That's what it does to the person. So coveting, like envy, disintegrates people. Bone rot is what the scripture says. Secondly, coveting, well, what does it look like? Now, this is where um, I risk too many words in my sermon and too much explanation. But there are all these examples in scripture about coveting that are given to us. And I've described in my first point our experience with it to some degree. But I've got to comment at least on one of these stories given to us in the Old Testament outside of the 1 Samuel passage. And it's 1 Kings chapter 21, which I'd encourage all of you to read today. You see a lot of the commandments swirling together and being violated in this one passage of concerning Naboth's vineyard, if you know the story, King Ahab and his wife jezebel so let me set it up with a, a brief context you have king ahab and you have naboth the jezreelite and Jez, uh naboth has a vineyard that is perfectly located that the king would like to have and so the king goes to naboth and says i'd like to purchase your vineyard from you i'll give you a good price for it i'll treat you fairly and naboth concludes i don't want to sell my private property This was my family's land. It was my ancestors. It's very meaningful and very important to me. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to sell it to you. And so the king has been told no of one of his desires. He's a man of want. He's a man of power. He's a man of the flesh. And so I'll pick up the reading here from 1 Kings 21. I'll start in verse 4. This is Ahab's response. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so the king lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. He's having a pity party. He's pouting in bed because he didn't get what he wanted. Now the story gets really, really graphic from here. You can read this on your own but his wife Jezebel will come in and say, why are you pouting? You're the king. I'll find a way to get you what you want. I'll help you fulfill those desires. And it's a powerful picture of sin and how sin compounds and gets complicated and leads to more as she now determines a way to have Naboth wrongly accused put to death so that the vineyard, the vineyard is avail, is available to them. That's the covetous heart. It wants, it wants, if it doesn't get its way, it's miserable, it's sullen, it's malcontent, and it will find a way to satisfy its appetite. And the Lord says this is wicked. And there would be severe judgment on Ahab and on Jezebel because of that sinfulness. And God had given his people in the law the very description of why that should never be true of us. Our hearts are not to be dominated by covetousness, this desire to go get what you want to satisfy itself. And the Lord had very specifically said, if you read the commandment and the specific applications that are given... You're not to covet another man's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, not his house. Elsewhere, it says in Deuteronomy, when they have land, you're not to covet your neighbor's fields. So these are the things that we covet. The scriptures tell us to anticipate. You're going to want these kinds of things. And so we look at that, and is it any different for us? No, our hearts covet the same categories of things. And the Lord said, my church in the world, my people in the world, they're not to be characterized by that. There's got to be something about their hearts that's different. What coveting looks like and what King Ahab has modeled for us is how coveting begins And I want you to apply this to yourself as I go over these items. It always begins with doing inventory of what we have and what other people have. I have this, you have that, I want that, I should have that. So we do an inventory, we compare our gifts and blessings from God to the gifts and blessings that God has given other people. Okay, That's how it begins. Then it continues into an internal restlessness. We can be like Ahab on that bed, sullen and angry. You know, I didn't get what I wanted. And that covetousness now continues. Internal restlessness now starts to dominate and turn into abiding bitterness. I deserve what that other person has. God's not been good to me. And we get bitter because of it. And then finally it destroys us where we have resentment Resentment that God has not been good to us. We can convince ourselves God has not been good to us. We can discard every good gift he's given us and just see the things that we want that we don't have. That's how coveting works. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I don't have this printed for you, but listen to this. James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fight among you people? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel with each other. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions." You see, James, the most practical application-oriented book in the Bible about real faith says coveting is at the heart of sinful people. And we are sinful people, and we will war with others, we will war with God when we think we deserve more than God's given us. When his gifts and his calling in our life are not enough, our fickle hearts will even turn on him. And ball up our hands as a fist and say, you've not been good enough to me. And the Lord says, my people can never think like that, talk like that, live like that. My people need to know that I've given them my name and I will never leave them or forsake them. Now, thirdly and lastly, coveting. How the gospel has the power to reverse this in our hearts. How the gospel can satisfy a heart so that it's not prone to covet and want looking for satisfaction in created things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, a little subset of what the Apostle Paul says there. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. God has made me to be who I am. It's by the grace of God, I am who I am. And we can logically conclude, and by the grace of God, we have have what we have. I am what I am. I have what I have, all because of the grace of God. He's the gift giver. And when we know that, when we believe that, the gospel brings an ability to be satisfied. God has made me to be who I am, the person with the gifts that I have and with the calling in life that's been issued to me. And He can only be good to me if my faith is in Him. He's my Heavenly Father. And so life may be hard. The road and the path that God calls us to live is going to have some dips in it, it's going to feel dark and difficult at times. But we can know that God said, He'll never leave me, He'll never forsake me, and this dark road is for my good. I can conclude that this is the path, and He will prove Himself faithful to me on that path. God gifts everyone for kingdom service as He sees fit to do. Therefore, we don't need to covet other people's gifts. Other people's stories of life, how their story is unfolding. We don't have to covet that. Our story will unfold and prove to be good because that's the nature of the God we serve. Every gift and every person matter in the kingdom. When we start to think, well, I'm less gifted, I don't have the things that others have because they're more important in the kingdom, we're not thinking like Christians. We're not thinking the way the Bible has taught us to view ourselves and to view our neighbor. All gifts and all service are for the chief end of glorifying God, which means whatever you have, whether it's much or little, it's given to you for the same reason, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I know what you're thinking. Well, it'd be a whole lot more fun to glorify God with a lot right? With a different story. That's the covetous nature of our hearts. God has given us the gifts, the graces that are just right for us. And so as I say those things, I know, I know, I know, I know some hearts in the room are clenched like a fist because you're in the tension right now of not liking your story, not liking the gifts that God's given you as you compare your inventory to others. And I would say to you, that's the covetous heart, that the gospel has power to melt and soften and change. Some of you could come up here and tell your story, how from some years past you were a very different person, but you've come to peace with God and peace with your gifts, peace with your story, and God has proved Himself faithful to you. Even through the hard times, even through the darkness of, of the path, uh, when it's really difficult, you can tell a story of God's goodness and his nearness to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 tells us that the covetous heart, it's really unbecoming of Christians. Listen to what is said here. This is out of a list of many things. I extracted one verse. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. He's saying, look, you're not to be defined and known in the earth as a sexually immoral people, as a covetous people. It's not the kind of people God's called you to be. It's unbecoming of you. And therefore, we need to repent of our covetous hearts. God is saying, don't be like that. That's not who you are in the earth. The covetous heart says this, I deserve more. I should have more. My life and the things that other people have, that belongs to me. It should be mine. It says that God has not been good to us. But do you understand that the, the gospel that we've been given in Scripture, the very thing that leads us to sing when we gather together, it says to us that God has loved us with an everlasting love that will be with us and see us through anything that He calls us to endure. We just struggle to see it, we just struggle to believe it, but it's true. That's what the gospel offers us this morning. And as we conclude the Ten Commandments, every one of the commandments, if you've seen what it said, you and I are guilty. We're the breakers of these laws. It's not in us to perfectly keep these. Jesus is the one true perfect keeper of the law. He did it perfectly. Now how did he do this? How did he handle coveting? Well, I'll close with this. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 3 through 11. Very familiar to many of you. But listen to the nature of the Son of God and how he served his people. The Christians are told, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, trying to gather, but each of you to the interests of the others. And in your relationships with one another, If our hearts are by fallen nature covetous, always wanting more, wanting to grasp and take, do you see how Jesus gave up what he had at the right hand of the Father to take on flesh willingly, to come down, which we'll celebrate at Christmas, and to take on him, not the pleasures of this world, but the sins of this world, He did the opposite of our covetous hearts. We want to self-satisfy. He emptied himself of everything for the good of his neighbor. Jesus is the one true perfect keeper of the law. Our hope is in him. Our trust is in him. Our faith must be in him. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we would admit to you in all honesty, we are a covetous people. Covetous of money, covetous of things, covetous of works, covetous covetous of, of gifts and graces. But Lord, we understand this morning that that's not who you're calling us to be. Would you bring a spirit of contentment upon your people that we would be able to sing Whatever our God ordains, it truly is right. It truly is good. And your people ought not second-guess you. Lord, would you work that kind of gospel confidence in us? We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.